0: So I met my husband five years ago. We were playing Ultimate Frisbee, and we're part of this group that just kind of gathers in the park. One Saturday, he had sent me a message online asking if I wanted to go to coffee or something, and so then, yeah, that's how we got a relationship going from that point on. So when we first started looking for a home, we weren't sure what neighborhood we wanted to live in. We started looking at homes in North Aurora and really fell in love with the area. Everybody that I've met or encountered seems really nice as well, and there's also diversity within the neighborhood. I'll see different people, different ethnic backgrounds, I even have some neighbors who I can talk in Spanish with, which has been kind of cool. We started learning about Chapel Street Church when, during the pandemic, we saw some signs around people's lawns that were like, oh Chapel Street, you know, um, keep God close, everybody else should be six feet away. I thought that was a fun way to engage with neighborhood as well as just seeing how many of our actual neighbors are attending this church. So my husband and I checked it out, started watching online, and then when the a campus is opened up again, we went to Mill Creek. We visited there one Sunday and we met Pastor Sterling and we told him, yeah, we're new, we're here from North Aurora. He goes, North Aurora? There's a campus opening in North Aurora this fall. And we're like, what? And so he's like, I'm gonna have you meet Pastor Andrew who also happened to be there that Sunday. So we got to meet him right away and he was telling us about the church and just got to share in the excitement of, wow, we could have a campus right by our home that we could walk to. We could be part of a launch, which is something we haven't done before and just, get to see God develop and build a church campus near us. When the campus actually launched in September, 2021, we were very excited and very ready to get involved. And it was very meaningful for, I would say myself, my husband in particular, because now we started to meet the faces and the families associated with the signs that were in the lawns during the pandemic. It was a big piece of us feeling connected and excited about building a church. So being part of a neighborhood church in a neighborhood that I live in has been really meaningful because it creates a different level of concern for my neighborhood. I feel like I want my neighbors to know about Jesus, but I also want them to feel like they can have a place to come to and just not just turn to me as a neighbor, but also they know that they can turn to Chapel Street as a church. And my husband and I we really have a desire to help serve in the church. So wherever there is a need that presents itself, um, we like to just step up because we're in a time in our lives where we don't have children, um, we're right by the church, we work from home, and so we really have a lot of time and availability that we want to dedicate to serving the Lord. I've been a part of other churches before that have, you know, a vision to expand, but when I understood Chapel Street's specific mission of being a neighborhood church and in the community, it's really neat to experience that and to see the impact that that can have because it's now a center point of the neighborhood. Since we've launched the North Aurora campus, um, it's really been instrumental in getting me excited about having a relationship with God and a relationship with others. And it's also raised a level of awareness and concern and um, passion for my community that I want my neighbors to know about this church, I want my neighbors to know Jesus. When I think about a year from now, five years from now, it's very exciting to consider all that God's going to do here in this neighborhood, all that he already has done. When you can reflect back already on his faithfulness, and it's only been a year coming out of a pandemic, I mean, God's going to do so much more, and we're so excited, and we are here for it.
1: Well, I kind of feel like I can just close in prayer. Uh, like I, I could not articulate the neighborhood church vision more effectively or more clearly than what Rachel just did there. Um, and it's an example of it. And uh, you may know we're in a, a series of these two weeks just kind of taking some time to focus on that. And that story just articulates so effectively what we believe the Lord has called us to, to do and, and what we're trying to be about here. And we're so grateful. Um, that you share in this with us. And I've told Pastor Andrew in no uncertain terms uh, that he owes me big time because (laughs) technically they came here and I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit to uh, to say you should meet Pastor Andrew. But let's pray together and we'll jump in. Father, we do just thank you for this day. We thank you for this expression of your body meeting in this place at this time. And Jesus, we want to we want to live out the kingdom call that you have given us. Um, we, we want to be an expression of, of your kingdom here in this neighborhood, in this community, and amongst our own neighbors, our own friends, the people you surround us with. Help us to do that well, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, as we enter into the fall, and I would, I would venture to guess that many of you are feeling this at various levels and at various ways. It could be a season of engagement and activity. It's a season when there's so many things that are launching and if you know every week I feel like when I'm doing the announcements I'm kind of like you have to just brace yourself. I've got 20 things to tell you about and small groups are getting started and Bible studies are launching and and serving people have served up to or uh, signed up to serve in a number of different ways and there is a lot that is happening around here. And, and a lot of it is, is all of it. It's really good. It's great stuff. But it can be easy, I think, in a season of activity to mistake activity for purpose, to, to mistake the, the means for the end, if you will. And I think sometimes it's necessary, it's important to press pause and to remind ourselves why we're here, Why we gather together, who we are and what we are to be about. Sometimes, frequently, really, it's necessary to to pause and to recenter ourselves around Jesus' design and intent for his followers as they gather together in community, this thing that we call the church, to just center ourselves there. What what has Jesus called us to? What has he asked of us? Last week, if you were here with us, you know that Pastor Jeff was um, addressing this same vision, this same understanding. What, what is the neighborhood church vision? What are we here to do? And he looked at it from the perspective of what the church is. And I would encourage you, if you missed that sermon, to go to back and, and find it online or find it on the app and listen to it, because Jeff highlighted six uh, really theological distinctives of the church that I think are helpful in, in shaping and forming our understanding of what makes this community unique. And today, I want to continue in that conversation, but I want to do it from a slightly different angle by considering or thinking about what, is, what does the church do? What does the church do? What are we to be about? And so let's start with the definition that Pastor Jeff gave us last week of the church. Jeff said that the church is a movement of God's spirit in and among God's people for his purpose and glory in the world. Let me say that again. A movement of God's spirit among God's people for his purpose and glory in the world. So in view of this understanding of the church, Right, what is it that, that ought to occupy our time? What, what are we to be about? What are we supposed to be doing? One other way to consider this, if you remember Pastor Jeff uh, last week, when he was wrapping up, he, he sent us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he talked about the role, the call of being ambassadors for Christ. This is part of the church's theological distinctive. And he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so one of the questions as we think of it from this angle, this this specific perspective, one of the questions that we ask ourselves is what does our appeal look like? As the church in, in this moment, in this point in history in this slice of the pie what 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 does our appeal look like what should it look like and in order for us to think about this and process this today i want to i want to return to our our origin story if you will corporations and organizations not for profits, and churches as well they love to tell origin stories they love to tell of the beginnings how things got going that's that's part of why we'll take time in a couple weeks to pause and celebrate and think about five years out here as a community as we come back and think about launching here and what God was doing. One of the famous examples of this is, of course, the Apple Corporation. They love to tell the story of, of Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. If there's like a, I think this is actually a little bit more myth than it is reality, about launching their company in, in a garage. I think it was like used for storage, but it kind of got, anyways, um, But really, they they tell the story of when Jobs and Wozniak were a part of a group of people that gathered together called the Homebrew Computer Club. And these were some of the very first personal computers ever made. And it was a group of um, nerds that (laughs) were designing and creating some of the very first computers ever. And they were like chips and boards that were tied down to pieces of plywood and bringing them in and innovating. And this is happening in Silicon Valley in the mid 70s and right alongside of kind of the, the, the hippie movement. And um, they saw this as kind of this countercultural thing that that computers at the time were something massive corporations owned. It was something used by governments, right? And so they were like, we're gonna be the people who who bring this in and and get it into people's homes. We're gonna, it's like almost like this form of, of rebellion. And Apple continues to tell that story because it's a part of, of their understanding of their culture and their ethos. This is why churches and non-for-profits and organizations tell their origin stories, because they want to pass on something that informs their values. And so today, I, I want us to look at our origin story. One of the ways that you'll hear people sort of express this kind of idea in the context of the church is like, we got to get back to be in the New Testament church. Right? We've got to get back to kind of our roots. And in one sense, like I can appreciate that and I agree with that. On another sense, if you read Paul's epistles and you see some of the like issues and, and sin that he's confronting in the church, I'm like, we're we're there. We're we're not as far off as, as maybe we thought we were. Right? So let's turn to Acts chapter two. I want to look, I wanna look at um really the launch of the church. And, and you may be familiar with this passage. This is, so Jesus in Acts chapter one, he has ascended into heaven. And before he does so, he leaves his instructions with his disciples and they're waiting there. And as they're in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit descends on them and they just begin to proclaim the gospel throughout uh, uh, Jerusalem with boldness and conviction. This sense of, we gotta tell the story of what Jesus has done. And people, some people think they're insane Some people think they've consumed too much beverage and others are like, this is too good to be true. We got to like, and they commit their lives to Jesus. They respond to the gospel. And out of that movement of the Holy Spirit launches this community of people who've placed their faith in Jesus. And this is the first iteration that we have of what we now call the church. This is where we pick things up in Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 42. Listen to this description. It said, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. So it's just this incredibly beautiful description of the community of God gathering together and there's sort of like a purity to it, like an infancy, right? Like there's this, it's just at its outset and there's such a focus on who they are and what they ought to be doing and they're living it out and it's inspiring and it's convicting. There's a word here at the very outset that I think helps us understand the implications or, or how they viewed what they ought to be doing. And that's that word Devoted. It said, they devoted themselves to these things. That, that word devoted, we, we use it similarly, right? It's, it's the idea of setting something aside for a purpose. Or the idea of, I'm adhering myself to this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow, live in this way. So, like, if, if, if you're, if, when Sherry, like, goes out uh, grocery shopping, right? And she comes home from the groceries, and, and I will eat things indiscriminately. Like, it, it just sort of, something looks good to me, and I'll just eat it. So sometimes she'll say, like, don't eat the cheese. I'm making tacos this week, right? Like, that is devoted. It's set aside for something else. There's a purpose for it. That's what, that's what we discover here in the apostles. So what I want to do today, I want to look at what they devoted them, themselves to, or these priorities, these distinctives of the community of Jesus. And there's six things I want us to look at today. First, they devoted themselves to being a a learning community. They devoted themselves to being a learning community. Again, Acts 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the apostles' teaching. So the obvious question that we have to ask ourselves is, what were the apostles teaching? What, What were they telling the people at the time? I think in the most immediate sense, we understand this as the proclamation of the gospel. It's the good news about what Jesus has done on their behalf. In fact, if you look just a few verses prior to this, verse 38, Peter is, is preaching and it said, he, rep- he replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, as many as, our Lord, as the Lord our God will call. It's, it's this declaration of what Jesus has done is what is available. It's an invitation. But I think in a more holistic sense, when we think about the apostles' teaching, it was the, the continuation of what Jesus had taught them regarding life in the kingdom. In fact, this was the work that Jesus had left with his disciples. If you think about the end of the Gospel of Matthew, again, when Jesus is is leaving his disciples, he's ascending into heaven. He says this to his disciples. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's that first portion. Proclaim the good news. Tell people about what I've done for them. And he says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's that second part. Teach them what life in the kingdom looks like. And then he ends it with a promise. He says, remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? In other words, the apostles are teaching the people a new way. They're they're teaching them the way of the kingdom, the, the way of Jesus. In fact, our fall series that we're going to begin next week is entitled the way we're looking at essentially what does what does it mean to live as an apprentice of jesus what does it mean to be a disciple how does that form our understanding and this is what the the apostles were teaching the people this is what they were showing them this is why we need to read and study and talk about god's word together if this is our copy of of the apostles teaching that was given to them by Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus taught. So we, we, the church, is meant to be a group of people who are learning, but not only learning, we are submitting to the way of Jesus. And that second part is really important. Because knowledge is important, and, and I, I think that's actually a, a critical part of what it means to to live in the way it's we have to know it we have to study it and talk about and think about okay what does this look like and how do we do this but if we don't submit to it if we don't live it out then it isn't really all that distinctive right this is what gave the early church sort of their uniqueness was this the manner in which they were not only learning but also submitting to the word of god so They were a a learning community. Secondly, this early group of Jesus followers in that moment, they were a sharing community. It says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Look in, in verse 44 again. He says, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house and they ate food with joyful and sincere hearts." That word that is is translated as fellowship there, you might be familiar with it. It's a Greek word called koinonia. And and the idea of, the the root of that word is the the word koinonia, which, so if you've ever heard of, of koine Greek, Like, that means common Greek. In fact, that word is used in verse 44. So it says, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That's koinonia. And then it says, they held all things in common. That's koine. The the root word is is common. There is a shared commonness that they had together. It's a a close association, a unity, as the result of a shared reality or conviction. That's, That's the fellowship. Right? That's what brings them together. And again, we we do this and and culturally, right? We find ways of gathering together around shared convictions or or shared affinities. I've made uh I've told you all before, I'm I'm like a pretty big Ohio State fan. And um and Ohio State fans I have discovered are really good at this. Like we can we can find each other kind of thing. And uh um I've been in like Arizona, places like that, where I literally have been walking down the street and wearing some Ohio State garb, and somebody will drive by and yell out the window, O-H, and I respond, I-O. Like, we just, we love to validate that we know how to spell Ohio, at least, like, <laughs> in, in just, like, sections, you know? Um, and it's it's like, we just, we find each other. Like, there's this affinity, this association that we have, and and. That is a poor, limited example, but this is is what we're talking about. It's a distinctiveness of the early church because they shared their lives together because they had Jesus in common. Peter points out what it is that they share in common just a few verses earlier in verse 32. Notice what he says here. He says, God has raised Jesus, has raised this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of this. This is the thing. This is... With the conviction of what the resurrection means. As a group of people, we share this conviction together. We're witnesses of this. And this is a part of what made the early church so unique, so distinctive. In many ways, a group of people that that shared very little in common. We have to remember that at Pentecost, earlier it says that people had gathered together from every nation under heaven. They speak different languages. They're coming from different backgrounds. They have different stories. And yet God has drawn them together in this conviction about who Jesus is and what he's done. And now despite everything that makes them different, they're gathering together in community. Right? Again, if we think of this from the perspective of the world, it would look at this, this gathering of people. And you would say there's no logical reason why this group is associating together had it not been for their conviction about who Jesus is and what he had done. It made no worldly sense outside of Jesus. And I love the way it gets expressed here in this passage. Because it's like they're, they're, they're breaking bread together. That phrase up there, um, some people see that as sharing the Lord's table, taking communion together. Later in the passage, it talks about just gathering to eat together likely, that is actually both of those were expressed together. When believers would get together, oftentimes it was in a home, it was around a table, they would share a meal together, they're doing life together, and as part of that, they would take the Lord's supper together. And I I think oftentimes, like, we, we try to live out this value. I made the joke earlier about portillos is kind of our thing, and it can be easy to look at when we go to the Tate's farm or we sit around here and share a meal together that that's social in its priority. I would argue that that's deeply spiritual. That sitting around a table together, hearing each other's story, laughing together, getting to know each other's kids or finding out more about our jobs, that that is it's a shared life around a conviction of who Jesus is. Right. So next time you're eating Portillo's, you say to yourself, this is deeply spiritual, right? Like (laughs) it it helps, especially if you're on a diet. Um, Right. This is also, I think I, I recognize in this, this is what I just deeply missed and grieved during COVID. Like it just was like the thing that was so hard to recreate. And what was absent and and what i discovered is it, it was it was we were hearing god's word we were worshiping in our homes but we were worshiping but i missed this i missed being here with all of you I missed worshiping together and laughing together and crying together and praying together all of that it, it's a critical part of what it means to be the church thirdly we see that they were a praying community they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Look over in in just earlier in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. So this is immediately after Jesus has ascended into heaven and the, the, the people who've heard this are gathered together. And it says, they were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. It was a group of people... Who were in conversation with their God in order to fulfill their given purpose. They understood, they recognized that if we are going to live in this new way, if we're gonna fulfill the words that Jesus has given us, if we're gonna live out the apostles' teaching, then we're we're going to meet, we're gonna to need to meet with God. We're, we're gonna to need to seek Him, we're gonna be need to be given His His wisdom and His direction. And so it was a group of people that was continually devoting themselves to entering into the presence of God through through prayer. Because that's what Jesus had provided for them, the access he'd given them. Remember in Hebrews chapter 10, and he says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place in the blood of Jesus, they're they're taking advantage of this. Prayer wasn't new in, in the New Testament. But this kind of access... To come into the presence of God, this is new. And they did not neglect it. See, the agenda of prayer for us is not what God can do for us. The agenda of prayer in the community is God himself. That we get to come and and meet with God. He is the gift. And so in the origin story of the early church is a group of people who understood this. They devoted themselves to it. They set aside time for it for the express purpose of of meeting with God in prayer. And if I can just say a word on this, I know as we sit across this room, there would be varying degrees of comfort that we might have with with a prayer. You might feel very comfortable in private, personal prayer, but if I were to say today, okay, we're going to take time and everybody's going to go around and just pray. Like, some of you would be like, yeah, let's do it. Others of you would be like, this is uncomfortable for me, but I, I'll, I'll step into it. And others of you would right, immediately have a heart attack and fall over dead, right? Like it, <laughs> and I, I, I want to just, if we, in whatever way that we have made prayer performative or that we have prescribed a certain format to it, we got we to forgive us of that. That's not it. It's the body of Christ having a conversation with their creator, God, who loves them and invites them into relationship with this. It's one of the things I loved as a youth pastor. When a student would place their faith in Jesus and, and maybe didn't grow up in a church context, had almost zero familiarity with prayer, but now felt like they had this access, this ability to come into it, and they would pray and it would just sound so um unlike what prayers you hear in church. They're just talking like, hey God. I can talk to you. and and, and, and it was a, a genuineness and a purity around it, and I loved seeing that. We need to be a community that is a community of prayer. Fourthly, we discovered that this church, this group of Jesus followers, was a serving community. And I want us to see one of the outworkings of this commonness. So it was a, a sharing community. But as a result of what they shared, the commonness that they had in Jesus, it produced something, I think, extraordinary in them. Back in Acts 2, it says, Now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now flip over just a page or two to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Another description of this, now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. I love that, this description at the outset of these verses. It says, they were of one heart and mind. And this one heartedness, this this singular mindedness, this produced in them, it radically changed the way that they viewed their stuff. So this community experiences this transformation in them that results in just this radical and joyful generosity for the benefit of the body. What they shared in common, in Jesus produced a willingness to share everything they owned in common as well. And notice what it said here in chapter 4. There was not a needy person among them. There was not a needy person among them. We started today by asking ourselves the question, what what does our appeal look like? I'm so curious to think about the onlookers who are watching really this, this tiny sect of Judaism who, who keep talking about Jesus. And, and some people are saying that Jesus was crucified and he's buried. And others are saying, now there's rumors that, that he's raised up, that he's come back to life. And you're watching this group of people who seem to believe that. And I, I just wonder the impact when they looked at this tiny sect of people and they saw the way they served each other. This, they saw the way that they loved each other. but that, just to, that to me seems like that would have spoken so loudly. Again, I understand when you hear a, a pastor preach on these passages and different things like that, that, that there could be a, a, a check that says, okay, like this is just a plug for increased generosity or something like that, and that's not my intent today. In fact, I think I'm considering it more from being convicted about, wow, how tightly I hold to some of my own stuff. I'm looking at us as a community and what would it say to look like for me to view everything and say, okay, Lord, this is, this is all yours. Use it for your glory and your purposes. If I can lift up a brother, if I can take care of a sister, how, how are you going to do that? It is clearly one of the things that made this community distinctive. Fifthly, we discover they were a worshiping community. They were a worshiping community. Back in Acts 2, verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They're gathering together. They're breaking bread from house to house. They're sharing meals. They ate food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. C.S. Lewis wrote that, he says, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. So he's saying and otherwise your in your enjoyment your praise is it's not it's not fulfilled it's not complete in, until you have expressed it in praise he he calls it the consummation it's the appointed consummation. In other words, worship is the natural result of a community that has collectively shared and being moved, transformed from spiritual death to spiritual life. Because what grace has been made, made available to us in Jesus. And again, like I, I think we understand this. I think this is, is something that we do. My, my freshman daughter uh, joined the tennis team for the very first time, and is playing, and, and just the other day, she, she won her first match. What do you think I did? I told people, <laughs> right? Like, she won her first match. It was so fun. Like, you, I wish you could have been there. I wish you could have seen it today. She got her first win. Like it was the enjoyment of that was fulfilled in telling somebody, proclaiming it, and so as you, what's unique here is as you track the story of the early church in Acts. It's incredible is that this worship transcends circumstances. It's a joy that's finding its expression in worship. It's not based on or dependent on temporal outcomes. So think about Paul in Acts chapter 16 when he's in prison for proclaiming the gospel. Not Paul. Uh, Peter. And, and Silas. No, Paul. Paul. <laughs> These guys get together. Two guys are in prison and they're, they're, it says it's about midnight and they're just singing hymns and spiritual songs and then there's this powerful move of the Spirit. It's like, this, is, this doesn't change this. This doesn't change what Jesus has done. Like, We've got we've to complete our joy. It's got to express itself in worship. The church is meant to be a group of people who recognize the goodness of our God and that we respond in praising him for it. And notice the outcome here again. It says that they were enjoying the favor of all people. Right? This, this, this fresh, this powerful community life is in, impacting those outside the church, which brings us to our sixth distinctive, and that it's a witnessing community. This early church was a witnessing community. Like if you've ever read a book that you loved, that you really thought, man, this is, an, this is a compelling story. And then that book is, becomes a movie, and you go see the movie, right? If that movie is an accurate and, and thorough depiction of the book, you're so happy, you're so joyful, right? If that movie is a poor representation of the book, it's like they didn't get it right, like you're so disappointed. So as, as, as the church, I think we're trying to be a really good living depiction of a fantastic story of what Jesus has done. We're, we're trying to get it right. And we don't, and we're certainly not perfect. But look at, look at the result of this in Acts chapter 2. This is at the very end. He says, every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Right? This remains our purpose. This continues to be our call. We return to the origin story because it it, it continues to define what we believe we are here to do. We want to live as a distinctive community of people who have been transformed by Jesus in order that, that this neighborhood, the Mill Creek Neighborhood, in order that our, our community, Batavia and Geneva and St. Charles and, and North Aurora and, and Sugar Grove and Elburn and wherever you came from, and not only our, our community, but your specific neighbors and friends, the circle of influence, uh, influence that God has placed around you, your coworkers and your, the, the parents on your kids' soccer team and the guy that sits in the cubicle next to you, whatever it is, that we would be this this living witness, this picture of the transformative, life-giving good news of Jesus. We want to be a people of invitation who say to those around us, come, come and see the the goodness of my God. May God continue in us what he began some 2,000 years ago among a small group of people gathered together in Jerusalem, experiencing a powerful move of the Holy Spirit for his purpose and for his glory. Jesus, continue to build your church that we may live as a distinctive community for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, this community. And Jesus, we, we confess that we... We don't do this perfectly, but we want to be about your perfect purpose. And Jesus, we're so thankful for your grace that that we continue to be in need of. Lord, forgive us for the moments when we get it wrong or we get distracted and we make the means the, the end. But continue to unite us around what we share in common, that we would be a distinctive community that our world looks at and sees the love of our Father. Do this work here. Impact our community, our neighbors, our friends, this city. That they would know that there is a God who loves them and invites them into relationship. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Can I just tell you, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you're a part of this community. I'm grateful to be a part of it with you. Not, I don't say that pastorally. I say that personally uh, to you. Um, and, and I think for this season, this time in history, and this little slice of the, the pie, that we get to live out this, this kingdom value together. Um, let's do it well so that God would accomplish his good purposes and for his glory. We're here. If, if we can pray with you this morning, our prayer team is available. Um, if you came prepared to give today, our generosity boxes are, are by the two side doors. You can leave that there. And now receive this morning's benediction. Go now in the name of Jesus Christ, who is what we have in common, who is why we gather, and, who's for, and for whose purposes and glory we live. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.